Rebel Force Radio is brought to you by Little Debbie Snacks, bakers of all galactic goodness like Star Crunch, Cosmic Cupcakes, Mini Donuts, and much more. Little Debbie, official snack of Rebel Force Radio, Rancho Obi-Wan, and fans around the galaxy. Rebel Force Radio presents Star Wars Oxygen. The music of John Williams. Red 5, I'm going in. Like Star Wars itself, the music in the film defied conventional wisdom. At a time when disco was burning up the charts, having a traditional symphonic soundtrack was another huge risk on Lucas's part. He really understood the genre that I was talking about. It's a group of composers that weren't that well looked upon in the 70s. There was a different attitude toward the old-fashioned symphonic and the scores. And I had a lot of music in the movie. Star Wars fans, Jimmy Mack here with you, and welcome once again to Star Wars Oxygen, the music of John Williams. It's Rebel Force Radio's look and listen to the work of the maestro in all seven films of the Star Wars saga. Yes, we're going deep into The Force Awakens. We're going to be tearing that soundtrack bit by bit, track by track, breaking it down, and always providing us with the expert analysis uh, musician, actor, uh, video game insider. Uh, you can see him on stage at Star Wars Celebration. You can hear him as a stormtrooper in The Force Awakens. It's David W. Collins. Hey, Jimmy Mack and Star Wars and music aficionados. Welcome to volume 26 of Star Wars Oxygen, the music of John Williams. Our second episode breaking down the music of Star Wars The Force Awakens. Yes, episode seven has arrived the soundtrack arrived just a few weeks ago. We've all been devouring it. Uh, we've all been analyzing it, studying it, enjoying it, most importantly, and of course, uh, talking about it um, with incredible enthusiasm, which is what we're here to do today uh, on Star Wars Oxygen on Rebel Force Radio. So uh, very, very excited to be back and uh, can't wait to dive right in. And and uh, and first of all, thank you all for your for your tweets, for your your emails, um, the amount of email and, and online activity we've had in terms of feedback about the soundtrack has been wonderful, and uh, and I read every single one, as does Jimmy, and boy, we're going to try and get in and, and answer some of those burning questions and maybe just uh, take a closer look at some now newly beloved pieces of Star Wars music. Absolutely. This soundtrack has been my constant companion running errands in the car, going to the gym, taking the dog for walks. I am constantly listening to this soundtrack. And I keep getting more and more out of it every time I listen, David. It's uh, yeah. well, like Star Wars films themselves. You discover more the more you're exposed to it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and um, that's one of the things that we said before is that, you know, it takes time for something to become iconic the way that... Uh, you know, even the prequel scores at this point are iconic. It takes time to live with something and to just have it in instant recall um, the way we do with previous film scores. Uh, again, we haven't been listening to it for weeks before going in um, like we did with, uh, with other movies. So yeah, it, it takes time for these things to grow on you. And to be fair to all listeners and Star Wars fans, this is very, very dense music. It doesn't just uh, come, you know, naturally uh, the way... Uh, a pop song would. This is something that takes a long time to to get into your into your mind and into your heart and into your memory. Most importantly, your musical memory, and that's exactly what we're doing. So I feel like the longer we go on, the easier these conversations become. So do you find that this soundtrack may be a little more dense and complex than previous Star Wars soundtracks? I think that it's it's got uh, a few things that. Other soundtracks uh, didn't have to deal with that uh, give it a certain level of density, but more importantly, I think um, a unique challenge. So there's a couple things to notice right off the bat, and um, forgive me if I'm repeating myself, but let's compare this to The Empire Strikes Back, for example. The Empire Strikes Back um, was the second movie and really didn't have six previous movies of themes to carry and reference the way that this movie does, Right. Um, certainly the legacy of the classic trilogy weighs heavily on The Force Awakens, and that's something that John Williams had to incorporate and did very, very well. In the case of The Empire Strikes Back, um, if you read Jonathan Rinsler's 
making of book, RCA Records complained that there was only, quote, one new song on the album, right? At the time, it was complaining. He's like, you've given us this Imperial March thing over and over again. There's nothing new on the album. Um, So it's funny how time changes the way we perceive things. And I think that's important to keep in mind when listening to The Force Awakens. It is dense. There's a lot going on. And the, the music really closely follows the action. Last time, this was what, two weeks ago? I love that we're doing this every two weeks, Jimmy. We talked about Ray's theme, um, and we got a lot of feedback that it that it definitely opened up sort of the ears of of a lot of Star Wars fans to how often this is in the music. Have you seen the movie since we we did Oxygen last? Yes, I, I did see it one additional time. As a matter of fact, right after we recorded the last episode of Oxygen, I ran out to the theater. Oh, that's so right. So I took in a lot of the info you laid on us. I took it into the theater with me, and it really did enhance the experience. You've been listening to the soundtrack you mentioned quite a bit. Uh, any sort of new thoughts over the last couple of weeks um, since we last talked? Wow, new thoughts, new thoughts, new new things you noticed. <laughs> a lot Anything. of thoughts that that run through my mind. Hey, you want to hear something really interesting though? Yeah. Um, when I popped in my CD of The Force Awakens, I, I bought the actual physical copy. I didn't download it from iTunes. Right. When I popped it in. David, I discovered that some of the track names were different than the track names you have on the uh, insert booklet. The, the, the differences. Oh, the are, metadata's different. Yes. Huh. And here, let me let me actually pull up the soundtrack here as I have it downloaded because there were three or four different examples of tracks that either were completely renamed or slightly different than what we see on the book itself. Huh, interesting. So, um, yeah, one of the interesting things to note about the soundtrack is this is another example of, you know, we got quite a bit of music on the soundtrack, but really there's so much more that, uh, that is in the movie that is not quite on the soundtrack. I mean, the, the movie is just so dense with music and it's, it's pretty overwhelming at times. So between that and the Oscar release of the four-year consideration stuff, um, there's a lot of music floating out there, and they're similar but different. So it's it's a lot to wrap your head around. So this, you know, if the metadata is different, you know, it, that adds a whole other level of complexity there. Yeah, because I'm really not sure what would be considered to be the actual title. Now here are the here are the examples. Track seven according to my physical soundtrack, is called The Falcon. Yes. Just simply The Falcon. But track seven, according to the metadata from the CD after I put it into my computer, track seven is called The Falcon Still Flies. Interesting. Interesting. The Falcon Still Flies. Well, at least it's related and it's not called, you know, uh, The Abduction or, or Torn Apart or something like that. That would make it ridiculously confusing. Now, here's something very interesting. And uh, maybe this change was made because the title could have been considered a spoiler, but track 12, The Star Killer. Yes. The metadata that I downloaded refers to track 12 as The Republic's Demise. Oh, good Lord. That sounds like Qui-Gon's Noble End to me. A little bit of a spoiler. Again, wow. the track 14... The soundtrack, the physical soundtrack refers to the track as The Abduction. Yes. But the metadata says The Abduction of Ray. Oh, boy. Interesting that, you know, what you're basically revealing here is almost concrete proof that they spoiler-proofed this soundtrack. That could be the case. Because, I mean, I mean, I know I'm, I've made a lot of noise about Qui-Gon's Noble End because... I remember that moment so well. And of course, this was released same day as the movie, so it's not nearly as uh, not nearly as damaging if you were to see a spoiler on the back if you went out and bought the soundtrack, obviously already having seen the movie. But that's so interesting. So The Republic's Demise and The Abduction of Rey. Wow. Wow. There's more. There's oh, more. Oh, there is. Okay. Track 15, the physical liner notes refer to the track is simply Han and Leia. Mm-hmm. But the metadata refers to track 15 as the reunion of Han and Leia. Hmm. Wow. That is interesting. Here's, here's where it gets, it gets very interesting. 
track 19, Torn Apart. Mm-mm. No, no, the, don't the say it. Don't say it. The track used for that, that sequence, that, the most famous sequence no. of the film, the, the shocking moment, the no, death of Jimmy, Han Solo. No, Jimmy, no, don't tell me. What does it say? <laughs> it's not called The Death of Han Solo. Oh, good. It's not called okay. that. But track 19, instead of being called torn apart like it is in the liner notes, the metadata refers to it as father and son. Uh, that is still a huge spoiler. I mean, if I mean, did, I, there have been audible gasps every time I've heard Snoke say your father, Han Solo. Every time I've been in the theater, there have been audible gasps at that revelation. That's a yes. big one. Early on in the movie, big one. I mean, I've heard more than gasps. I've heard people say... Well, how could that be? They start, you know, shouting at the screen. Yeah. yeah. So father and son. And then track 20, which is referred to in the liner notes as the ways of the force. The metadata refers to it as Ray versus Ren. Oh, geez. Ray versus Ren. And there's one more. Okay. Number 22. Track 22 referred to uh, in the liner notes as Farewell and The Trip. Yes. Metadata refers to that track as Farewell and Trip to the Island. Wow. Huh. Amazing. You know, I'm looking at, I'm looking at these, these uh, here in iTunes as I ripped a CD as well. I didn't buy it digitally. I bought the CD and then, and then ripped it into iTunes. And I'm not seeing that stuff. But maybe it's just one of those things that flashes across the screen in a different metadata uh, output when you're like listening to it in your car or on a device or something. Because I'm just looking at the titles, I guess. Maybe the fact that I'm dealing with the physical CD itself, it might be pulling some older data. Oh, out of like a CD database or something like that? Yeah, yeah. That's so interesting. And updated, you know, but... I just thought that that was very curious. Disney was betrayed by its old <laughs> metadata and seduced. I don't know. And then when I put in my, uh, my CD for Empire Strikes Back, the Imperial March comes up on the metadata as the dance of Darth Vader. No, 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 it does not. <laughs> no. I, all right. Now, now, now you're pulling our legs here. Well, that's, that's interesting. Yeah, I, I now want to go through my entire John Williams Star Wars library and rename everything, you know. Uh, the the force the binary sunset is called get me the hell off this planet. Um, <laughs> yeah, the uh, the sand crawler is called it's, creepy hoodie dudes. And, actually, uh, binary sunset, according to my metadata, is just titled SPF one thousand. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. Uh, that's really really good. Um, yeah, ways of the force is called yeah Ray versus Finn or Ray versus uh, Kylo versus Finn's ouchie. No, I don't know. Uh, but you asked me, you asked me uh, if there's anything that's been yes. kind of uh, sticking out to me when listening to the soundtrack. Yes, yes. And um, I, I, I keep finding myself going to that final track, the Jedi steps mm-hmm. and the finale. Because, I mean, you really get everything in that one track. Yes. So if you wanted to have the sort of condensed experience of the Force Awakens soundtrack, that's the one to listen to. And I still get the goosebumps when I hear the opening to the Jedi steps and just, you know, you'll play those visuals in your head. You picture Ray running up the steps there at uh, Skellig Michael and finding Luke up there at the top of the cliff. It's, it's amazing. It's just well, an amazing piece. Of, it's an amazing accomplishment by John Williams. Let's talk about that piece a little bit. Why don't we just go ahead and dive in, right? This, uh, right. Right. Um, That's it's kind of wide open at the top Um, and it's filled with mystery. By the way, we're going to have to talk about themes multiple times. I need to talk about Ray's theme yet again today. But so this won't be the last time we talk about Jedi Steps. But there's one thing I want to point out about Jedi Steps, um, and that is uh, uh, a little bit of dark side, a little bit of um, the weight of the dark side. And uh, you feel it throughout this movie. Um, there are a lot of classic quotes in, in, uh, in the force awakens. Um, do you remember the scene where he says, show me grandfather? Um, and I will finish what you started. Do you remember that you actually hear 
as you look at the mask, you actually do get the Imperial March stated clearly there in low woodwinds. Do you remember this? Oh, absolutely. Because I was keeping score and I thought to myself <laughs> when it was over, I was like, wow, this is the first film since A New Hope that did not have the Imperial March. And then it hit me. Wait a second. Yeah. It's there. It's there when the camera zooms in on the remains of Vader's helmet. So absolutely. And it's yeah. done in such a way that it really tugs on you emotionally. Yeah. Because right right away, I mean, you look at that Vader helmet, you hear the Imperial March in your head, even if it's not being played. Right. So it was uh, just perfectly executed. Right. I agree. And so this is a great time to talk about Darth Vader. It's a great time to talk about Kylo Ren and Luke Skywalker and Rey and kind of musically how they're all related a little bit. If you were to look at the opening of the film and the main title on the attack on the Jakku village, there's a moment where uh, Kylo Ren steps out of his uh, giant cruiser here. Huge statement as the ship comes down, right? Huge statement of the Kylo Ren phrase. But then an interesting thing happens. When he comes marching down the ramp, you get the rhythm and the chord structure of the Imperial March. Here it comes. Right here. He's not quite Darth Vader, right? So you get the da 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 bump bump da da bump da 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 bump of the Imperial March, but it you don't quite get the Imperial March. You only get it when you see Vader's helmet, right? So it's these little callbacks. Like Kylo Ren is the the new Vader, but he's not quite the Vader. They're not going to state it. Instead, what they're going to state is um, right, which is his kind of new theme, his new motif. More on that later. Let's go back to uh, what you were just talking about, the Jedi steps, right? Um, yeah. Because l keeping Vader's theme in mind, right, um, I feel like you hear Vader's theme a little bit in Jedi steps. Really? I think you don't hear the melody, but you hear the chord structure, and it's kind of implied here. So let's, let's just fast forward here a little bit. So this is a very open, kind of minor, mysterious piece. It's got the flute, just because Ray's there. Now listen to this. Those chords are Imperial March chords. Boom. And that's as you see Luke uh, before his back is turned. I'll play that again, right? So you've got, you've got, uh, What is it? What key is that in? Right? You've got bum, bum, bum. But then you've got... Right? That's... These two chords, right? Bum, bum, bum. Bum, 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 bum. That's Imperial March. That's, that's Luke Skywalker, I guess, holding the weight of Kylo Ren and the dark side and the fear of everything that is being unleashed in the galaxy on his shoulders. It's perhaps the reason he's isolated himself, but a really interesting choice when you see Luke, before his back is turned, you just see the robed figure and you hear bum, 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 bum. That is a reference to the Imperial March. Those are the chords. It's no. the one minor, flat six minor. You know, uh, wow. sorry to get musical, but it's, it's the same. <laughs> Sorry to get musical in a show about music. <laughs> or but, technical, um, I should on. say. You should keep it technical for uh, for the master musicians in our listening audience, but the way you just broke it down right there, David, I totally get it. I hear the chords that uh, are being spotlighted here, and I understand their relationship to the Imperial March thanks to the way you just broke it down. Yeah, you hear it. I feel like those are the three kind of real big callbacks, really big callbacks to the Imperial March in The Force Awakens. Uh, they're there. The only one time you hear it is when you actually see a piece of Vader on screen. But other than that, it's just referenced. Um, we got a little bit of this in, in uh, a sneak peek trailer months ago as well. This little idea of, of you know, this kind of... 
right? You know, it does those two chords. Um, uh, so it's it's there, it's in the background, it's bubbling up, and Luke is carrying a lot of the weight of it, and it, it just gives you this kind of mystery, and you don't know how it's going to go, you don't know what you're going to find. It's thrilling. It's thrilling, this section here. Oh, it's just dark and filled with magic and danger. But hopefulness, you know. And destiny. And all of those things. He's hitting all of those feelings here. Right? But it's dark. It's in a minor key. It's not happy. You know, it's... Here's here's what it is. It's, uh... It's, it's not, uh... What key are we on? We're in G minor here. Right? It's not... Right? <laughs> right, it's you're not getting that. Right? It's it's minor. It's got this kind of Right? Um It doesn't even do that. Uh it's 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 very very dark and it's very mysterious and it's and it's filled with uh destiny and kind of setting up an empire strikes back like uh vibe there to me. Um I don't know. What do you think of all that? Well, what do I think? I, I think it's it's an amazing piece of music, and it is the mu- the piece of music that that strikes me on an emotional level probably the most in this entire soundtrack. It has a signature sound to it that is instantly recognizable, and it's a theme I believe that is going to reappear again in future Star Wars episodes. Is there a track from John Williams' past? that may resemble this because you know how sometimes people say, Oh, go back and listen to the hook soundtrack. It's you you can hear John Williams was working on across the stars back then. Is there any sort of indication that this idea, this melodic idea that John Williams executed for the force awakens, is, is it something that's been bouncing around in his head for a while? Can we hear earlier examples of compositions by Williams that may have provided a little bit of influence for this track? That's very possible. Um, None that are springing to the top of mind. I think that's a great question for our listeners. And if you, if Jedi Steps reminds any of you of uh, other John Williams work, um, I'm trying to, you know, uh, I love that you're putting me on the spot. It's, it's, you know, you should. Finally. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I I sweet. (laughs) Right. I can't think of anything off the top of my head. Um, you know, uh, obviously it's, there's some morose, uh, sadness there, but also just, uh, I, you know, uh, uh, kind of this magical feeling to it, you know, and there's the innocence of Ray's, uh, flute and the celeste. The celeste is that, uh, instrument here, right? This, uh, it's this. The, the the thing in the background that's just doing the right you hear it in you hear it in when she's doing the uh um this thing right you hear that same celeste you know that's the very sort of heavenly bell like instrument um you have that kind of innocence i i suppose harry potter might be uh an interesting one to look at uh in terms you know, of similarities people, i've there. heard people say things along the lines of, yeah, I love the Force Awakens soundtrack. I loved it the first time when it was Harry Potter. Now, see, I don't necessarily consider myself an expert on Harry Potter music by John Williams. As a matter of fact, I still have not seen a Harry Potter film. I think that's going to change in 2016, especially if Kyle Newman has anything to do about it. But um, I... I my only response when I see things like that are well of course it's it's composed by the same guy I mean of course there's going to be obvious consistent threads in someone's career when they work on an artistic level you know I, I don't necessarily I see I hear similar instruments but I think that Harry Potter has its own language you know it's got a, it's got that sort of childlike innocence but also magical wonder and that's a lot to do with the uh, Right, um, done done on the celeste as well, you know, also in a minor key, uh, but then it kind of wanders down. I actually don't have it, you know, at my fingertips. I actually struggle to. I don't want to butcher it, um, but uh, 
but yeah, there there are some similarities there. Um, but I, I don't know. I think that what he did was entirely appropriate for Ray, and especially this awakening discovery. And you can argue that Harry Potter is very much about the same thing. It's about these kids learning how, how to use their powers because they're wizards. You know, Ray is is awakening to the Force. Um, and there's that innocence that John Williams is conveying with the orchestra. So a lot of those similar techniques are employed. Um, yeah, you could, I could, I could see that. And with Ray's theme, there seems to be something familiar about it. Um, I can't quite put my finger on it. Maybe it's just the fact that I like the track so much. It's become familiar to me very quickly because I've played it over and over and over again. Track six. I don't even have to look it up. I right. know. I know off the top of my head what track it is. And uh, it's, it's definitely, um, the, to me, Ray's theme is the tightest piece of music on this entire soundtrack. You know, I, um, I think that uh, there's a lot of similar stuff there, too. And I, and I don't just mean the Beastie Boys. Um, you know, I, oh, we've gotten a lot can of those. We talk about that for a second. Sure, sure. Uh, you know that. What is it? Whatever that that flute line is that they do, I, I don't buy it. I don't. I don't buy it. And, and I also don't like it. I don't like the idea that John John Williams. You know, JJ has like floated him a Beastie Boys like three notes from a from a sampled Beastie Boys. And I'm a huge Beastie Boys fan. Um, I love the Beastie Boys, but I just don't. I don't. I don't see how he could create everything he created out of a out of a three or four note flute flute lick looped. Um, but that's just me. That's that's just me. Um, well, I mean, if if you are interested, I mean, do you want to just a b the two songs back to back to to kind of sure if you've got them, let's do it. How familiar they are. Um, yeah, let me pull this up real quick here. Yeah, why don't we do that? I'll I'll pr I'll prep this stuff. And I'll make it so we could hear them back to back, these these riffs in particular yeah. coming from uh, the Beastie Boys and John Williams, and we're going to compare them to see if there actually is any sort of uh, heat behind this uh, speculation. Yeah, I think there are other reasons to find Ray's theme somewhat familiar. We covered that in the last episode. I feel like it's it's structurally similar to um, the Force theme, which we we talked about. We even played that, right? Um, and we've heard that a lot. This this kind of sound, right? This uh, you know, uh, you know, and then suddenly to a major sound, right? That's that's a very common uh, musical trope, I guess you will. You know, this kind of, you know, you're in a minor key, and then you do the the relative, uh, or actually, I should say, the up a fourth and in, in major, you know, which is kind of a borrowed chord you know sometimes they do it in reverse too like let's let's say you're watching a movie about outer space and you get right you you hear those kind of tropes a lot there's there's certain musical languages that remind you of awe and wonder and that is very much true with this um one example that i was thinking of was in uh the lord of the rings um, you know, I feel like it's very similar to the theme for the Riders of Rohan. If you're a Lord of the Rings fan, um, let me see if I can bring this up here. Um, do, 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 do. You know that, you know that piece I'm talking about here? Yes. This right here. Right. There's the four major chord. Now back to the one minor. Very similar idea, right? Yes. Right? Yeah, maybe that's what's ringing a bell with me. Maybe it's a little Lord of right. the Rings. Right? So there's a little bit of that. Um, that was something that I, I heard the very first time I saw the movie was I heard uh, Riders of Rohan. But, I mean, Riders of Rohan also sounds like, you know, uh, this um, this right here. Right. So, I mean, it's it's kind of a cyclical conversation that's gone on through the decades. It's it's something that a lot of composers use. It's a it's a device to kind of show, uh, you know, hardship, but hopefulness at the same time, you know, switching between minor and major in a melody like that. Um, so there are some similarities there. 
if you want to go down this road of other reasons why Ray's track might sound similar, I've got a couple things that uh, just kind of hit me like a ton of bricks about Ray's theme that I'd love to share. Yes, please do. Please do. Well, we mentioned Kylo Ren has a motif, right? It's this, uh, uh, what is it? Uh... Right? I love that too, because when that plays, you see his shuttle descending down to the planet and those those notes all descend along with the ship itself and it has such a feeling of foreboding dread because of that bat-shaped shuttle coming Mm -hmm. down all black it really works together with the visual imagery yeah uh i i I love it i think it's and it's got it's got a couple things in it right this uh Right. Right. It's got that sort of same minor, but with the with the Black Sabbath, you know, the right uh, note in it, that kind of devil's tone, the tritone. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah, there's some, there, you know, he's got some other themes, but let's stick with this one for a little bit. Listen to these notes. Now, let me play those notes for you again. The last three notes of Kylo Ren's theme are the same as the first three notes of Ray's theme. Whoa! Right? Whoa! Absolutely! They're kind of related, these, these three notes, right? Right. Right. Uh, are they related? <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know. But uh, da, you know, bomb, bomb, bomb. Right. Uh, there, there, there's some similarities there. It's one thing I kind of noticed. Uh, another thing I kind of noticed is is this in reverse. Right. Right. Um, the f- first three notes of Ray's theme are kind of um, the first three notes of Across the Stars in reverse. I don't know if that means anything. You know, a lot of people are building a case for her being the uh, being uh, the daughter of Luke Skywalker or somehow related to a Skywalker. It's a very popular fan theory. There are some uh, there are some musical threads to pull at that would suggest that that John Williams is is doing that. He's kind of leaving us a trail of bread com- breadcrumbs, at least you know, kind of like you discovering that metadata. I feel like there's musical metadata here with uh, you know, uh, maybe I'm maybe I'm grasping at straws here, but the fact is that you know half of that that uh, Kylo Ren motif. Um, is uh is found in the beginning of ray's theme um and you know and speaking of uh or um right ba da 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 right right um there's some similar lines and passages to the the prequel love story of Anakin and, and Padme and the Skywalker lineage. I mean, there's some stuff in there if you choose to look for it. You know, um, I heard a lot of um, um, I heard a lot of Across the Stars the first time I heard Ray's theme. You know, you know, there's there's just some some ideas there that remind me of Across the Stars, and then to hear it, Kylo Ren just kind of like in reverse. You know, uh, instead of uh, it's, <laughs> I, I, I'm just one. I'm just putting it out there. I'm just putting it out there. I I don't know what it means. We could be proven completely wrong. She could be a you know a new virgence in the force that just comes out of nowhere. We have no idea. Right. But that stuff is there. I'll give you another piece of evidence, which is you you brought up Jedi steps. 
you brought up uh, the finale. The very end of the movie features this sound right here, which is Luke's theme played on a celeste, which is the musical instrument that we are given for Ray. Listen to this. It's the very end of the movie here. Right as the credits end, we get this. Jimmy. And what instrument is that? That's a celeste or a celeste. That is that is the celeste again. Mm-hmm. Okay. The same as the same as Yeah. Right. Right. So so you know, to to lift something that had a pretty strong presence in Ray's theme mm-hmm. and then use that instrument to to give a shout out to the main theme. Mm-hmm. That's very interesting. Which is also traditionally called Luke Skywalker's theme. And it's yes. here at the top of Jedi Steps, right? Right, you hear that at the very top? Same instrument, right? It opens and closes yes. with that instrument. That sort of... And Celeste uh, gets its name from sounding heavenly, you know? Um, it sounds uh, beautiful or feminine um, or childlike or filled with wonder. You know, it's, there's a certain innocence to it. Uh, which John Williams uses to describe Ray, you know, and then this is a scene between Ray and Luke. Uh, so just interesting little musical tidbits to keep in mind there. That's amazing. That is, I mean, because what I'm hearing here is like at the beginning of the track, Jedi Steps, you hear that Celeste, and in what I'm doing here is I am connecting that instrument with Ray. Yes. Fair, now, I don't know if we've ever do. done, we have done this before. We have assigned specific musical instruments to specific Star Wars characters. I'm looking at you, Tuba the Hut. <laughs> so we definitely have done this in the past. Right. So so the Celeste representing Ray, you put her at the top of the track, Jedi Steps, to represent her approaching. And then it all comes together, mashes up with Luke, takes you through the 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 finale and 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 the reprise of all those tracks and then at the very end the celeste returns right to well, to yeah. to present essentially Luke Skywalker's theme and this is the instrument that we are connecting to Ray right see all that we're connecting all the dots we're we're Star Wars soundtrack music archaeologists yes absolutely <laughs> i mean let's look at the scavenger right this is what we actually hear in the movie you get flute and celeste. Those are the two, right? Right. This is when you when she's trying to go for a drink of water here out of her little uh, canteen, um, and then when she slides down, uh, slides down the hill. There, I just love this. There's her piano and celeste, right? There's the flute and the piano, right? And then it goes kind of into the main theme here. With the flutes in the background, right? So that piece is not the concert version. That's actually the scavenger that's in the movie. Um, can you think of another uh, character, beloved character in Star Wars that features a flute for their main melody? Uh, Leia. Leia. Yeah. Yeah. Nailed it. Who would? Uh, who is related to Luke and is part of the Skywalker lineage? Blah, blah. You see where I'm going with this? Yes. It's just. It's just. Um, right. So just Leia gets the flute. Ray gets the Celeste. Jabba gets the tuba. Yeah, and Ray also has the flute. I guess that's my point, right? Yes. So it's been passed down. Yeah, so maybe, 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 you know. Uh you can also argue that the Celeste makes an appearance when uh when uh, uh Obi-Wan is revealed as Obi-Wan in episode four, right? You could argue that too. 
But mm-hmm. I don't want to muddy the waters, Jimmy. I'm I'm making a case here. I'm actually making your case for Luke Skywalker and the lineage of Ray. Right? This is something. This is fun. On RFR. Um, I these are sort of the musical reasons. The other day, Jason said, "Proof? What proof?" And I'm like, "Well, <laughs> or, or what? Uh, what? I don't know if you use the word proof, but you remember this, right? From our uh, TFA roundtable." Yeah. This was kind of the stuff that was in the back of my mind. Was like, well, John Williams is kind of telegraphing to us through the music that uh, there's a strong, strong family resemblance here. But maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe that's just part of the fun of it. I think part of the genius of The Force Awakens is that as an audience, we're not ahead of the movie we want to be, but there's enough, there's enough uh, uh, evidence to give us some kind of hope that she's related to Luke, but there's also enough, um, uh, there's enough ambiguity there to leave it wide open for anything to happen with Ryan Johnson in episode eight. I think fans are certainly nitpicking the music for sure. Like we are, but more (laughs) than what we're doing they're they're actually looking at its placement within the film. And they think that the music is telegraphing future events that will unfold in the Star Wars universe or future reveals. And the most popular theory that's been going out there right now, the most popular theory that's been going on out there right now is the one that says Snoke is somehow related to Darth Plagueis. Right. And a lot of people are basing this speculation on the fact that the music played for Snoke is very similar to the music played in the Coruscant Opera House in episode three when Palpatine was telling Anakin about Darth Plagueis. So yes. people are connecting the dots. What do you think? Uh, I, I think there's a reason that they're doing that. I mean, first of all, they're absolutely right. They are incredibly similar, and John Williams is using the same thing uh, to sort of convey this sort of dark side meeting here. Right? This is the Snoke track. Um, again, a low men's choir. I believe that this is actually also Sanskrit. Uh, I believe I read that somewhere. Sansweet? It's Steve Sansweet singing this. That's uh, overdubbed a few times. Yeah, recorded at Rancho Obi Wan. You got it. No, the, the tantric chanting of Stephen J. Sansweet. Whoa, whoa. Uh, so there's <laughs> this here. Yeah, the, the, the show suddenly took a turn that day. Um, <laughs> let me see if I can find the. Uh, see how I just gloss right over it. Um, let me let me see if I can find the. Uh, 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 the piece there that uh, that we're talking about at the at the opera. Hmm. Yeah. Even deeper. Uh, there's some resonance there. Um, doesn't sound like they're saying words per se. No. It sounds vastly different to me. Yeah. Outside, you know, other than the fact that they're using the, the, the chanting that's based on the, the Gayuto monks, the Tibetan mm-hmm. monks who uh, we've talked about them on, on previous shows. But, yes. um, you know, just because something uses the same instrument doesn't mean it's the same song or serves the same purpose. True. Um, you know. It, it could be. I, I actually am just kind of leaving my myself wide open on this one. I, I it's. I immediately noticed it on the very first screening. I was like, oh my gosh! It sounds like. I didn't go straight to Plagueis. That took a little while as I was thinking about the movie later. Um, but certainly, I think the image of Palpatine speaking to Plagueis on the cover of Plagueis, the James Luceno novel. It's James Luceno, yeah. right? That I think immediately. You know, the he's immune. Uh, not immune, as in like he can't catch a disease, but he is an M-U-U-N uh, race in Star Wars, Darth Plagueis, according to uh, Legacy or Legends. Um, and so Snoke kind of looks like that too. Um, you know. And then, of course, he's towering over uh, Kylo Ren in the same way that, uh, that uh, Plagueis is towering over Palpatine on the cover of that novel and that great illustration. Um, so I, I get it. Um, I, I just don't know. I, I think it's inconclusive. I think it's a great device to represent uh, a, a, a holier, sacred, dark side 
gathering. Uh, there does seem to be some chanting going on with Snoke that is not happening at the Mont Calamari Opera with Palpatine's teachings. And also, uh, just kind of a side note, interesting factoid. Correct me if I'm wrong, Jimmy, but this is the only appearance of any sort of choir or chorale or human voice in the Force Awakens soundtrack. Wow. Yeah, I, 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 I think you're right. I think you're right. It's very different from the prequels, right? It's, it's kind of more like the original movie with this exception. This is a huge exception, which I think is another reason why people are pointing to Plagueis because they're like, it, it just takes you straight back into the prequel trilogy, particularly episode three and the dark side. And maybe that's very intentional. Uh, maybe it's a coincidence. I, I actually like that this theory popped up. I mean, it's, we probably get a note about this, um, I don't know, uh, several times a week. <laughs> yes. It's actually when it first happened, it was probably four or five times a day. Um, and it was something that I think we all kind of had the same like, whoa, reaction to. Um, yes. I'm not going to debunk it, um, nor am I going to uh, call it for, for Plagueis. I'm just going to go, hey, you know, we all notice the same thing, and, and I'll, I'll be darned if I know what it means. It could just mean that Snoke is Snoke, and he's got the dark side flowing through him, or there could actually be a connection there, and we just don't know. We don't know, but it, it did appear in a, a recent uh, interview with Andy Serkis in uh, EW. They spoke to Serkis uh, back in November, and he denied any sort of relationship between Snoke and Darth Plagueis. I mean, he flat out denied and said there is, there is no, there is no relationship between the two. Now, granted, Andy knows what Andy knows, and there could be bigger plans in store for Snoke. But what they keep saying over and over again is, Snoke is just Snoke. Yep. So, and I, I remember uh, also too uh, during the. Uh, press conference for The Force Awakens, uh, I believe um, Lawrence Kasdan was asked about Darth Plagueis, and Kasdan denied having any knowledge of Darth Plagueis, which I find hard to believe. Right, but, yeah. yeah. I mean, he would have had to have at least sat down and watched the prequels to prep for this film just in case, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I, I think that sequence with Darth Plagueis made us all sit up and say, well, who's Darth Plagueis? Yeah. Well, and to cheat death is a power that only one has ever, you know, figured out, and that was uh, Plagueis. So maybe he cheated death, right? He was killed in his yeah. sleep, and he came back. Very Voldemort-esque, if that's the case. Um <laughs> Back to Harry Potter. You should read those books. I, I, I uh, you know, it's. it's a, I'll see the movies. I don't know yeah. about reading the books, but I'll see the movies. Yeah, great books. Uh, the movies are kind of truncated versions of the books, but they're they're really fun. Um, you know, I only read the first four, but uh, but yeah, there's uh, Williams' music in the in the first movie is great. Um, some of those movies are are stellar. Some um, are not, I think, as strong, but that's just my opinion. I'm just nowhere near a Harry Potter aficionado the same way I am Star Wars, so I don't feel qualified to talk about it. But it's definitely worth checking out, and John Williams' score is, is fantastic. You know, uh, He always writes fantastic stuff. Um, yeah, that Snoke one's really interesting. Uh, another one that we get a lot is um, about the March of the Resistance. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Uh, the March of the Resistance, it's yet another concert piece um, that, uh, that is not only is it you know, all over the place throughout the movie, but it's in the end credits. Um, let's just play a little bit of March of Resistance, and let's talk about this thing. I've been wanting to talk about this quite a bit here. Already hearing, it's set in a minor key, right? It's got a march. It's got a little bit of darkness to it. Um, it's got some bombast. But there's some lightness to it, too. There's, there's a little bit of strife. You know, like here's the strife here. But if you listen to the bump bump chords, 
it gives you a little bit of hope right here. Right? Um, you know, uh, the challenges facing ahead. I feel like it's it's really trying to paint a picture of a group under great duress, you know, uh, a huge challenge. But before I get there and I kind of present a case for that, let's just talk about the low-hanging fruit because there's no denying it. A lot of people pointed out that it reminded them of... Uh, Right, the the yes. uh, Trade Federation march, uh, the, the Droid Invasion, as the track is known on a, on a Phantom Menace soundtrack. Yeah, um, yeah, it's similar tempo, and it's kind of got a you know the one big difference, of course, is that 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 sort of devil's tone blue note thing that I was talking about, you know. Right, that one note, that <laughs> the Black Sabbath note, the Devil's Tone, is kind of the thing that lets you know that it's kind of got that mustache twirling, uh, matinee serial evil in it. That's mm-hmm. totally absent in the March of the Resistance. You know, the March of the Resistance is is much more of like a almost like a Russian nationalist kind of um, proud <clears throat> proud thing. Right, it's got that. It's got that. Uh, what would you say? Uh, it's just like it's got this dinner like, music at the resistance base. <laughs> yeah, it's got it's this it's this right the the bump bump you know that gives it this kind of <clears throat> again sorry to to speak in musical terms or technically but this harmonic minor this sort of rich uh, this rich sort of um, military strife, you know, uh, very much like what, uh, you would hear in the score for the hunt for red October or, or Mm. something like that. It really kind of almost reminds me of the cold war. It's funny. Uh, someone described, uh, the force awakens as the coming out party for, for the, uh, for the first order in terms of what their real political aspirations are. They, they go from being these friendly folks, you know, that are trying to have a political uh, relationship with the new Republic to then just, Launching the nuclear weapons, you know, and um, and that's that's what they do. They launch the nukes. You know, World War Three. It's less World War Two and and sort of the Nazi theme from the Last Crusade, and it's more World War Three to me, you know. And this is the spy game that the Resistance is playing, right? That's all I can really kind of uh, say because uh, yeah, it does sound like the Trade Federation march, although I think it's trying to hit a different dramatic intent. Obviously, it's not trying to be the, um, uh, you know, it's not trying to be that sort of like, um, you know, it's not trying to do that necessarily. Let's all march in step. And, uh, you know, um, it, it almost feels like the resistance theme goes there, but it doesn't go all the way because I hear the similarities between the uh, resistance theme and the trade federation theme when it does the you know it's like the march of the resistance will take you up to that but right when it gets to the part from the prequels where the music would go they don't go there they don't go there they go right they they give it a little bit more of a yeah, um, I actually think what he's going for is a little bit more of the Battle of Yavin type of underdog thing, um, you know, which is very minor. Like if you listen to uh, this here, right? There's this kind of like up against impossible odds. And this section right here. There's a bit of a callback to it when, when the resistance arrives on Maz's planet, um, and they they make their first run. You kind of get a callback to that. So here they come, flying in over the water. Check this out. Did you hear that? 
kind of reminds me of this. Yeah. Right? It's yeah. it's kind of got that kind of um you know, the resistance is so strained and so uh you know, so much the underdog that I feel like he's he wrote this kind of minor march to kind of make them feel more like the the underdog. And you might say that, you know, episode seven is the the um negative image of the Phantom Menace because in the Phantom Menace, the uh the Jedi, the Republic, the Naboo are the ones that are kind of the big bads and the Trade Federation are the ones sneaking in. And, you know, now you've got the polar opposite. You've got the resistance sneaking in. Um, I don't know. Uh, it, I, I like that. I it's like that it's hard to, yeah, I, it's, hard to, uh, it's hard to deny that it sounds like other marches. Um, and he didn't give us this sort of happy, you know, again. You know, <laughs> hey, you know what I like though is is when you compared those two segments, uh, they could be isolated into just individual little fanfares. Just those two segments alone, yeah, could could stand on their own as just these these fanfares, and and then you really hear the similarities yeah. between the two. Yeah, yeah. There's, I think there there really uh, there are some similarities there, um, and I think that uh, if you kind of go back and watch the end of A New Hope, and then you go and watch the resistance at work, I think you'll kind of hear a little bit more of that at play, you know. You know, it's this. You know, there's all kinds of just really just, I mean, that track goes on for, gosh, I'm looking at it here, almost nine minutes, the the Battle of Yavin uh, launched from the fourth moon, you know, X-Wings draw fire, use the force, all that whole thing. And it's all minor. You know, and that's when you see the rebellion mostly at work in A New Hope. And I think that that's probably the the source of inspiration for creating a theme that's related in the resistance rather than trying to chase the Trade Federation. That is my guess. Um, but sure, there's no denying that, that there are some sort of structural similarities to uh, the Trade Federation march. No doubt. Hey, you know what I've uh, been doing is uh, creating the comparison between the Beastie Boys Sure Shot and Ray's theme from The Force Awakens. Oh, here we go. Now, I have not heard this myself. We were tipped off to this by a loyal RFR listener, a friend of mine, Sky Payne. Sky is a, a guy who's very active in the Star Wars fan community, especially on the vintage collecting side. He is the uh, curator of the Chewbacca Museum, the Chewseum. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> I'm the not making this up. <laughs> and uh, Sky, Sky is a, a guy that um, he's been in touch with us we, for for years. He he hosts a show for uh, Gus Lopez's website called the the Kivecast. I guess that's a play on archive. And uh, I've always seen that as the Chivecast. Chive, yeah. And I'm I like, oh, is that a cooking? Chive. Oh, okay. The Kivecast. Oh, it's in archives. That makes total sense. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> It's not two dudes wearing Star Wars shirts making baked potatoes and putting sour cream in. <laughs> right. Thank you for on. setting okay. me straight. So, um, yes. But Sky, like a lot of Star Wars fans, has noticed and recognized the fact that J.J. Abrams loves the Beastie Boys. And we know that character, Elo Asti, is, he was personally named by J.J. Abrams, the X-Wing pilot, to be a tribute to the Beastie Boys, the song yes. Hello Nasty. yes. So, so JJ loves the Beastie Boys. We get it. We saw that Star Trek trailer. Okay, yes. we get it. Yep. Um, but the song "Sure Shot" from 1994's um, um, gosh, what, what album was that? It's something to ill. <laughs> all the Beastie Boys albums are no. they, they're ill, all ill, all ill. No, of course, it's ill communication uh, <laughs> from 1994. Um, the song Sure Shot has an intro that features a flute. And according to Sky, this was the inspiration for Ray's theme. So Sky must believe that J.J. Abrams communicated to John Williams, maybe sat him down. Could you imagine this? To be a fly on the wall. He sat him down and in, in started spinning some Beastie Boys tunes for John Williams. 
And they're probably sitting there headbanging and stuff and slam dancing. So we, what I've done is I've, I've taken the intro from Sure Shot and I, I put it together with Ray's theme. I was wondering why you were so quiet over there. Well, it, well, I did this while we were talking. Now, I haven't played it back yet, so I don't know if it's actually going to Well, like, spin work. it. Spin it. Let's see what happens. All right, here it is. I don't know. <laughs> what do you think, David? Right. Uh, versus. Uh, the idea. Expert opinion. Expert opinion. The expert opinion. <clears throat> the nicest way I can say it is just, I, I, I think it's a neat idea. And we know that he's just a Beastie Boys fan. But I, I actually... Dare I say, I, I think it's preposterous. I, 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 I just, I mean, look, come on. You've got Steven Spielberg laying it on so thick to JJ that John Williams is, will, will not only exceed your expectations, but just completely blow you out of the water. And JJ went in going, okay, I know that. And then John Williams does his thing and JJ is just like, I, I, like, I can't believe that I'm watching this. The idea that JJ would be like, <clears throat> Let me pin our entire hopes of this new movie with the new character uh, on this Beastie Boys, you know, <laughs> blues flute riff. Just seems so. I, I don't want to say it's borderline insulting. I, I think you know, anytime you're speculating about these things, and especially with the Lo Asti thing, I, I totally get it. And Beastie Boys all over the 2009 Star Trek movie, I totally get why. But when you really stop and think about it and then you play the two back to back like that, I just, I can't imagine. And, and I have to confess my own bias. I just don't want it to be true. (laughs) Well, of course not. But I also honestly, sincerely don't think it's true. Yeah. Sky tells me he, he, he thinks that this theory is silly, but he thinks it's true. I mean, Sky thinks that JJ had that sort of influence over John Williams to uh, get him to, uh, be inspired by the BC boys. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't buy it either. Why, and, uh, why cash in the credibility that you would cash in for a, a small game? Now I could see him going, you know, I really like flute. You know, I could see him doing that. And I can see that being kind of part of his musical influence of Beastie boys. You know, I think something with a flute for Ray, I could absolutely see that. But the idea of him going, um, you know, can you do a musical lift of this? Or whatever. I, I just I just don't see it. You know, I, I and that's just me. Um, feel free to write angry emails. I'm sorry, you guys, if you absolutely believe it's true. I just don't. Um, that's that's my take. That's your take. David W. Collins, expert opinion on John Williams. And that's what we come here every time for. Yeah, that's right. I'm starting to wind down. <laughs> <laughs> I know you don't want me to, but we have to. Um, so, uh, what, what we, gosh, we have so much left to talk about when it comes to the soundtrack. And so we're not going to hold back. Let's get together in a couple more weeks Yep. and, uh, keep picking this sucker apart until there's no more tracks to talk about. So, uh, that's what we're going to be doing here on star Wars oxygen at uh, rebel force radio. Of course, if you want to get a hold of us, you can write us show at rebel force radio. You guys are really filling up our inbox and we're seeing all the emails you write us. We're seeing the tweets, uh, we're seeing uh, all the conversation going on at Facebook. Um, also, seeing a lot of conversation on the official Rebel Force Radio Facebook group page. And if you're not in on that, you need to uh, get hooked up right away. Just do a search of uh, official Rebel Force Radio group on Facebook. And, uh, and uh, we'll bring you into the action because everyone is talking about this wonderful music from Star Wars The Force Awakens, and uh, my gosh, we have just started to scratch the surface. That's right. Yeah, we talked about a lot of stuff today. We talked about Ray's theme again, how it relates to uh, Kylo Ren's first theme. Um, He has another theme that we'll talk about next time, which is this... Which is this kind of... uh, Right? 
So listen for that between now and the next episode if you go and see the movie. And we'll talk about that, especially how, you know, maybe it, maybe it goes uh, somewhere into their relationship. It's a secondary theme for Kylo that, that shows up late in the movie. We'll talk about that. We'll answer some questions. Is there a theme for Finn? Is there a theme for Poe Dameron? Uh, let's talk about uh, the Millennium Falcon. Is there a theme for the Falcon? Um, you know, we'll talk about Scherzo for X-Wings. We'll talk about uh, being on the inside, torn apart. Uh, the Star Killer Base, there's so much to talk about. The general style of the movie. And of course, uh, we want to hear more of your questions. I think next time we should uh, uh, do a listener feedback email. Uh, so keep them coming. I can't wait for more. All right, David W. Collins, bringing it once again to Star Wars Oxygen. Always appreciate the efforts, my friend, and uh, we appreciate everyone for listening. Uh, be sure to be keeping your eyes open on the Rebel Force Radio feed. Uh, we're actually going to be taking this week off from uh, the weekly show, but uh, oh, we got a big surprise for you on Friday anyway. So you want to be checking for uh, your, your regular Rebel Force Radio to drop, and uh, what you're going to get on Friday is going to blow you away. Um, and uh, this show always blows me away too, David. So uh, once again, thank you. And of course, uh, please keep those emails coming in. Show at rebelforceradio.com. So until next time for Star Wars Oxygen, and David W. Collins, I'm Jimmy Mack, and remember... The Force will be with you, always. <laughs>